listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, October 26th, which also means it's our last episode before Halloween. More on that later. There's lots happening in IT services. Tomorrow, October 27th at high noon, is our Toastmasters Open House. Check your email with some messages from club president Chris Garrity for details. Toastmasters is all about providing a welcome and safe space to build up public speaking skills. So whether you present at conferences on the regular or just want to be more confident during meetings, Toastmasters is the place. And of course, if your goal is to work up toward one day being interviewed on this very podcast, then by all means, check it out. Also, you have another few weeks to nominate co-workers for two prestigious department honors. The Inclusive Excellence Award recognizes staff members who demonstrate exemplary leadership that manifests the ideals of diversity, equity, and inclusion into practical action. Meanwhile, the Think Like an Entrepreneur recognizes employees whose achievements promote excellence and creativity through extraordinary innovation. Check out the homepage of thecurrent.ucsd.edu for more information and links. Last but not least for this week, forget not that open enrollment opens tomorrow, October 27th. If you're eligible for benefits, be sure to make your selections. And now for this week's interview, yours truly caught up with Valerie Polichar. Well, let's start with hellos. Hi, Valerie. Thanks for joining me again on this. My podcast. pleasure. Yeah, I think I don't know how many times you've been on this podcast, but I think I've only spoken to you once here. I, I think this might be my third time. I can't recall, but it's oh. a pleasure to be back with you. Yes, yes. This is going to be fun. We are going to talk about a variety of things. For all of you who are not aware, Valerie is the Director of Academic Technology Services and has a lot of insights into how our whole organization operates. And we'll maybe get into some of that. I think I just bumped my microphone. But let's start with some fun stuff. I want to just ask you what's most exciting to you about what's going on with ATS right now and some of the projects that are really on the forefront. There is so much going on right now. And it's all very exciting to me. Um, So I'll try to give you a, a quick overview of some of the most exciting projects. Our teams, particularly myself and our research IT team headed by Claire Mizumoto, are involved in two efforts that might seem like they're opposites. We are involved in a public access to research data effort. So we're trying to share the university's data with everybody, all the San Diegans, everybody in California, everyone who's paying taxes, other researchers, students, students at our institution, students at other institutions. It's just, let's get our research data out there and let people do things with it. At the same time, we are partnering with Mike Korn on an, and uh, the uh, Vice Chancellor of Research, trying to um, secure our research data and come up with ways to make sure that we're compliant with government mandates and that people that shouldn't get at it don't get at it. Although those things seem like they're in conflict, there are good ways to navigate it so we share what we can share. 
and we don't let out what we shouldn't let out. And that's a challenge that's in front of us um, over the next couple of years to make happen for UCSD. So that's one big area. We're about to embark, or we have just embarked on the Educational Dataset Service Project, which is a collaboration with the library, wherein we would provide, I think, a website, a, a place to go to for our students who need to use data for projects in their classes. So it could be you need to do something with machine learning. It could be public health saying you need to analyze some public health data and, and draw some conclusions. Could be literature or history class saying you need to analyze these texts using machine learning. It could be data science students uh, working on their senior projects. All of them need data sets to work with, and they kind of need to understand how to work with them. And then once they have data, they will want to plug them in, in many cases, to our data science machine learning platform, or they might want to download them and put them in Excel or do some graphics or all kinds of applications. Uh, we want to create one-stop shopping for those students with lots of guidance for how to use the data, which will come from the library, but we're probably going to be creating some videos here uh, in Robin's area to teach them how to work with it. There'll also be lots of information there for faculty on how to make good assignments. So we'll be drawing on some of the advice that we get from the commons on pedagogy. So it's going to be quite a big effort probably take us a few years to completely unroll, but lots of excitement about that. There is the Pathways Project, which Carlos Jensen in the EVC's office has an initiative to reach out to high school students and give them the opportunity to take UCSD classes remotely, to get some credits before they start, better prepare them for college. So that whole online initiative is getting started and our uh, ed tech folks are uh, very much involved in that. On the research IT side, there's a lot going on with conferences and uh, national involvement in committees. Almost even as we speak, Claire Mizumoto is giving a presentation to EDUCAUSE on making the case for research ITS, uh, IT support within your organization. That whole team has given a lot of talks, presentations, and published papers this year, so they have an impressive record in keeping very busy. Um, and finally, we're trying to find ways of getting student activity data into the hands of instructional researchers in a safe and secure way. So all of these things are going to keep us very busy for the next couple of years. And they all, they're all fun. I'm, I'm excited about all of them. The first thing you started mentioning was research. And that's the second question I had, really. You're the director of both sides of that equation, academics on one end and, and research on the other. I have personally worked mostly on the academic end, but I've talked to Claire, I've talked to other people in research. I noticed that there's a really interesting kind of symbiosis between research and academics, but also sometimes there's a little bit of conflict about uh, what should be an instructor's main focus, the research or the teaching and learning. And I'm just wondering uh, your take on that and how you reconcile those goals that can sometimes diverge between the two. Absolutely. It's a lot of components here. So first of all, UCSD used to have uh, researchers who taught. Now we also have teaching professors, meaning faculty who have come here for the purpose of teaching. All top-notch faculty, many of them in the tenured or in the tenure track. So they have slightly different needs and requirements. The researchers have to put their research first to survive to get to tenure. Um, they probably care a lot about their students as well. The instructors who are teaching instructors 
they still have to do research. They have to do research on instruction. So there's there's a little bit of demand on both sides for both. The way that we meet those demands is a little different on both sides of the house. Partly that has to do with maturity of um, services and partly that has to do with the nature of, of the work. We've had instructional computing support on this campus for a very long time, since somewhere around early 80s, maybe even a little before that. Research support has been much more limited. We provided some support in in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, in terms of letting people typeset their papers. But real research support is very recent. It's something that, you know, Claire Mizumoto very much pioneered on this campus. So it's really only been in the last maybe, say, six or seven years that anything's been offered there. So to some degree, we have maybe more mature services on the instructional side that we know how to deliver and we can innovate from there. But also the nature of the work is very different. To some degree, you get economies of scale with instructional computing, right? You might have very different classes using a server in very different ways, but it might still be the same server. Like the our data science machine learning platform is a great example of that. We have folks from every single division using that server. So we only have to maintain the one server for all of those needs. It's very different on the research side. They have to give very individual consultations. They have to come up with individual solutions. There's a little bit of economies of scale for sure. I mean, there are storage services that groups of people use, but they have to spend a little bit more time with that individual researcher's particular needs, what their funder wants, what their discipline wants. So it becomes much more of an individual consultation. We, we like to do as much as we can of that on the instructional side, but it's impossible to function without it on the research side. So there's some challenges there with economies of scale. So although often both it's the same person, right, coming to us for both needs. And maybe they even are going to end up with the same service in the sense that maybe they're storing their data for teaching in the same way that they're storing it for research. It's not a given. And so we have to deal with them almost as if they're two different people and then try on the back end to make things as efficient as we possibly can and make it as easy for them to move between their identities as they possibly can. I think you've told me before about how our services meeting the needs of research is still fairly young. And I, I'm surprised every time because I came to this university with that just being the standard. You mentioned a couple of things that brought up one little thing that I wanted to ask you about. Technology is increasing very quickly. What we can supply, the various ways we can supply it. You mentioned economies of scale, just how much bandwidth we can offer to to our customers, but also the demand for it's increasing. So it seems like on one end, there's this, hey, we can offer so much cool stuff. But on the other end, hey, so many additional departments need technology now and different yes. instructors are trying different things. What's that race like? <laughs> yeah, uh, it it's a very interesting one. I think the rise of digital humanities has been one of the most interesting things going on in the last 10, 15 years. We serve a lot of those faculty who are just having to dip their toes into the world of computing and sometimes just jumping right into the machine learning deep end of the pool, uh, having not had a whole lot of, of computing under their belt before that. But, you know, UCSD has very smart 
people. And they just need a little bit of help to get started with these new technologies and then they take and run with them. I think some of our newer faculty especially are are pretty excited about the ability to build bridges across these different disciplines. And they might partner with somebody who's in a more engineering specific area to create some really innovative research. And again, they bring that into their instruction as well. We've got a couple of other things to, to discuss. The first is another thing that I was personally curious about. We've mentioned research versus teaching and learning, but the reality is under your umbrella are so many different departments and teams and personalities and people and types of jobs. It's such a complicated web. And I myself have worked with three different uh, project managers this year, just to name Mm -hmm. one type of position. And all of them work so differently Mm -hmm. that it's like mental gymnastics to say, okay, where do I find this, (laughs) this racy chart or whatever. I just wanted to talk to you about how you have managed to manage. All of these people, all of these departments. I don't want to say that I uh, do this all well or successfully all the time because I'm, I know that I don't. But I will say that I guess I have a, I would say I have a personality trait that that does help me, which is that I find people just really interesting. And I keep in touch with, I think, an unusual number of people. So, you know, as an example, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I decided it would be great to start writing letters to people. And I wrote over 200 letters in 2020. Um, The last couple of years, I've written about 175 a year. That's just handwritten letters, keeping in touch. I I obviously talk to a lot of people on social media, uh, via email, and I just find people very, very interesting. And I find the differences between them fascinating. I'm always interested to figure out what someone's preferred method of communication is or um, their style of communication, how they like to work, um, their mix of introversion and extroversion and shyness and boldness. And those things just really interest me. And so I guess that I like a very, very diverse staff. Um, I like to have people that are as different as possible because that's exciting to me. And I think we are much more creative that way. Again, to the extent that I'm successful in doing this, I think it's because I find it very fascinating. Yep. I'm sure that it's it's been a collection of learned skills and some skills that you just can't teach. We're going to talk about something now that is very related in my view. The SMTs for a while now have had Ask Me Anything sessions, the AMAs. And it's an opportunity for all of us in the various departments who I've just discussed to ask anything of the SMTs. And the idea was to make the work of the SMTs more transparent for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the very nature of an Ask Me Anything is ask any question could come up, any topic could come up. There's a little bit of a danger zone, (laughs) although you do take questions in advance. But there was one interesting question, and I think it was a good question. It was just a very specific question, which I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the exact wording. Mm -hmm. But it was something along the lines of, is multitasking effective or do you think multitasking 
is is effective. And you were the first to answer, and a, a number of SMTs answered. Start by paraphrasing what what you had said. Yeah, I mean, I I started by answering that you know no multitasking isn't really effective. We know that from research, right? We know that when you try to do two things at the same time, you're going to do them more slowly than if you did them sequentially. That's a fact. It's not an efficient way to work. However, I, I didn't give enough time to the fact that many, many of our staff have to work that way. They don't have a choice in the matter. That is how the work is laid out for them. If you're on the service desk, the phone is ringing, tickets are coming in. You don't always have the luxury of saying, I'll just wait to look at these tickets until the end of my phone period, because what if it's something urgent? If you are discussing a problem with a customer, they might bring up another problem they have at the same time that they want your input on as well. So you can't just think about one and and nothing else until you uh, are done with that one. Many of our jobs are punctuated by um, meetings that insert themselves when we can't choose and wouldn't have chosen to insert them. Or meetings themselves get interrupted by a large variety of problems to solve and you would like it to be an effective meeting and you would like to walk away with a completed solution and maybe you don't have a chance because the topics interact with each other. By its nature, our work is interrupted. By its nature, we cannot be perfectly effective or efficient. And that's a stressor for a lot of people. It really is. Even if you have walked into a job on purpose that is interrupted, it's still stressful. Mm -hmm. You choosing it doesn't make it less so. And so I think I didn't give a great answer to that question, I don't have all the answers. One suggestion that one of my staff members made was you could talk to your teammates. If you're on a very small team and maybe there's only two of you handling something, maybe you can make an agreement between you so that you each can have a little bit of focus time. You can certainly talk to your supervisor and say, hey, you know, I'm not getting enough focus time and I'm having trouble getting to certain things that are really important or that just I just need to think about this more before I can come up with a solution. Uh, Those are two good suggestions. I don't have all the answers. I think one of the dangers of the ask me anythings, SMTs, we're not experts at everything. (laughs) There's, we have expertise in particular areas, skill sets in particular areas that make us well-suited, we hope, (laughs) to being managers. That doesn't mean that we have expertise on everything that this department does. Absolutely, we do not. That's why we need experts in the department who have those skills. We don't have all the answers. We would like to have Ask Me Anythings add to transparency, explain some of the black box, things like the budget process that, you know, used to be just a complete mystery to staff. They'd kind of put in a request and someday, maybe years later, they would hear the result of it and it wasn't clear what was happening. And our original goal was to try to pull back the curtain on on some of those processes. I don't want to let people down. And I, my husband tells me I have a bad tendency to answer any question that is asked of me, perhaps whether I am an expert on it or not. So in this case, I think I uh, I took an answer a little too far and I, I regret that. And I'm sorry that for anybody who felt like their work was dismissed because of it. The realities of our organization and the realities of the 21st century with the expectations of the 21st century, it's kind of taken for granted, not just with us, but any workforce that we have to multitask. Right. It's just 
whether you are working at a bank or anything. One of the things that was brought to my attention is not everyone has an equal amount of agency over their time. And it can seem disrespectful when a response to a question like that just assumes agency. So it's all very well for me to say, you know, try to see if you can pack your meetings into one section of your day and then have focused work during the other section of your day. A lot of people have zero choice over when you know, when the meetings they attend are. They're attending group meetings or they're attending meetings with their bosses. Their bosses may or may not be either amenable to or able to schedule them for another time. It makes them feel a little bit left behind and and not respected when when we assume that, oh, you just need to learn some techniques and then you'll be able to cope with your impacted and stressful schedules and days. And I think that's where it's very important for those of us in management and in positions of power and control to take a little bit of effort ourselves to try to ameliorate those situations, maybe proactively look at our our employees' schedules. And, and if we see one that looks like, you know, they've got an hour of a meeting and then an hour free, an hour of meeting, an hour free, that's a terrible way. That's Swiss cheese way to spend your day. You can't get anything really done. And go talk to them and say, would you like to change this? Can I help you to change this? Because I'm in a position to help you. You don't have the, the, the control to do that. That is kind of our job. So it's something that, you know, I need to pay a little bit more attention to myself. And, uh, and, and I would hope that our other uh, managers and supervisors would as well. So complicated. I'm I'm learning even as we back and forth during this conversation. Anyway, let's go for some fun stuff. We'll end this by talking about, you know, work-life balance stuff. I know you've got a lot that you do. Um, So I wanted to ask you specifically about, you mentioned humanity, digital humanities earlier, but let's talk music and literature and... And what you do outside of the confines of the university. Yeah, I have a a lot of outside hobbies that not everyone I think is aware of. Um, I do write and record music. Uh, I've written over 400 songs and uh, compositions. And I spend quite a lot of time uh, on my weekends uh, in front of my uh, console, uh, uh, mixing music, recording music, singing, um, writing music. I work with other musicians all over the world, so we we email our files back and forth and um, take part in a number of different monthly activities around music um, composition and interpretation. Um, so that's one uh, one area. I also write about music. I write music reviews for a couple different music magazines, one in Oregon and one in the UK. Uh, I occasionally do uh, press releases for musicians as a little bit of a side hustle um, and uh, PR packages and so on. Uh, I also write for uh, just fiction and nonfiction for pleasure. So I, I've published a number of short stories in a lot of different genres, uh, horror, science fiction, uh, just general literature. And I'm I'm working on a nonfiction book on focus, on how to focus uh, when you've sort of lost the ability to focus. And it, it's very much based on my um, reading of the psychological and neuropsychological research. Um, my background, my PhD is in experimental psychology. So that's kind of my uh, lens, I guess, for for looking at the at the literature and what we know about how to improve focus 
uh, how to get past sort of the the uh, social media and um, <laughs> blipfert uh, generated short attention spans. And I know a lot of people have had a challenge during the pandemic with all the added stress of getting back to enjoying things like reading a book. Uh, and it's sort of my goal to come up with some research-based practices that will help them do that. So I've, I've published a couple of articles on the subject, and I've been working on the book for a year or so now. So that's just another thing to tuck into my free time. Well, I hope when we get you back on this podcast, we can uh, hear something about how close you are to publication. <laughs> I think I need that book, by the way. <laughs> focus is 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 a thing but i feel like we all do (laughs) all right well that's it unless you have any final words no as always it's a pleasure to talk to you i would love to send us away on one of your compositions if you were amenable to that oh maybe i can send you something to include yeah fantastic thank you valerie we'll talk soon thanks very much bye When you reach the other side, you will know that you're alive. And if it's all